0: Welcome to the Mother Whelm. This is a podcast for mothers and parents to safely share the challenges and triumphs of motherhood, shed light on taboos, and celebrate everyday victories. I'm your host Bronwyn, and I'm here to talk to you about all things motherhood. The miraculous parts and the overwhelming parts. The ones that make you wonder how you got here, and those that make you realise you're exactly where you should be. This podcast is produced on Darug and Gundungurra country, land that has been the home of mothering and storytelling for tens of thousands of years. We acknowledge and pay our respects to the Darug and Gundungurra elders, past, present, and emerging as the traditional custodians of this land. In today's episode, I am joined by Laura, a mom of three boys, James, Reuben, and Luca. Laura shares openly and beautifully about the loss of her son, James, who passed at eight weeks of age due to a rare genetic mutation. Laura's is a story of resilience, courage, and a deep, deep love for all of her children. Let's begin. Thank you so much for joining us today, Laura. Can you start us off by telling us who is in your family? Yep. So
1: there's my husband, Bryce, my three-year-old, Reuben, and my one-year-old, Luca. And then I have a son who would be five, but he passed away when he was a little baby. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that with us.
0: And for coming on to to share your story. I think it's, like yeah. I was saying before, I think it's very important to carve out a bit more space for women to share stories that they don't really get the opportunity to share That's on a exactly regular good. basis. Yeah. yeah. So what were you like before you became a
1: mother? I think I was always designed to be a mum, which is, which is a funny thing, but I, I just I always always wanted to be a mum. It's not that I was always really good with children. I just always was so certain that I wanted to have, have kids. It was the thing yeah. for me. So I'd like to say I was similar, but I don't think I, I was. And I probably almost struggled to remember who I was. I don't think I was as flexible. Mm-hmm. I was much more rigid and this has happen at this time. And I did a lot for myself, which was in hindsight really nice. <laughs> yeah. I took a lot of time to do what I wanted to do. And, yeah, we travelled a lot. We had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. We always said that our, I met my husband when we were 19. So mm-hmm. our, our whole 20s um, we said would be for us and then our 30s we said would be for settling down. So we lived abroad and we, you know, had quite um, as, as connected as our lives were, they were also very independent. Like we had our own group of friends. We, yeah, it was it was a fun life.
0: Amazing. So w- where did you live? We lived in London. We lived a little oh. bit
1: in Canada, and then we were in um, London for three and a half years.
0: Wow, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so what were you doing? Like, what did you do there other than... Yeah, like- well, we did
1: what we do. What so I'm a therapist, so yeah. I worked uh, in that industry in hospitals, and he's a civil engineer, so he did that. That's yeah, amazing. I've got a passport, so I like was able to stay there off that, and then um, because we've been together for so long, he was able to get residency once his beaver expired, and
0: hmm. yeah. Awesome. Do you know, I mean, this is what I'm trying to pin down for myself as well, and I don't think it's possible really. I haven't been able to, but I always wanted to be a mum too, but I'm just not sure where it came from.
1: <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. My mum was around a lot, um, yeah. like so she didn't work until, like she took a, like a 20-year maternity leave, like fantastic. Yeah. So she went back to work when I was about 12, so I mm. guess I had a lot of one-on-one time with her. So yeah. I don't know if it comes from that, but I just yeah i always always knew i was um yeah i i I just needed to be a mom yeah what
0: were your expectations of motherhood before you had children what did you think it would look like for you
1: i thought i had to do everything as the book said Mm -hmm. or as the post said or you know the experts said i thought i had to do everything um you know textbook like i studied to be have a newborn like Mm -hmm. i read Every single sleep feed book, I did, you know, the courses. I I didn't trust my own ability. I just thought I've got to learn it, because that's what I've always done. I I learn something and then I can do it. Like through my my study, my career, I learn and then I do. So I just followed the same approach, which certainly didn't didn't help. And it made Mm -hmm. me a very anxious mum by the time I had Reuben, and I don't think that's because of what happened with James I think that's more because I just thought I had to do everything by the book yeah like if, it, if it, you know you don't nap on the go for this nap you've got to be at home and you've got to be padding and shushing and linking the day sleeps and connecting this you know sleep cycles whatever it is like
0: <laughs> yeah I remember I remember yeah
1: How yeah, so anxious I was such yeah. an anxious mum because of that like yeah.
0: yeah it does seem like a common thing like we do have we get this idea that there's a right way of doing it as first-time moms we're just like there's a right way and i have got to do it the right way and I'm absolutely the same like you know I will study for something and then I'll feel confident in my abilities yes, to do it it was
1: my confidence yeah yep, I had to build up confidence even though I knew I wanted to be a mum, I had to to build up confidence to step into that zone in that realm like it was yeah yeah I didn't trust my maternal instinct Whereas when I then had Luca, I totally went with that. And it was just so much more relaxing. Like yep. just following my gut. And and of course it was easier because I, you know, I'd done it with all with Ruben. But yeah. I just felt like I really went with my um yeah, maternal instinct more.
0: I think that what seems to be coming out of these interviews is We're we're so influenced by by society, and I'm also I'm also part of a a co-host of um Australian VBAC Stories podcast. So Mm
1: -hmm.
0: through these stories, I'm hearing again and again this huge distrust in women and women's bodies, and I feel like we're really taking that on. Yeah, and so it's no wonder that we're kind of second guessing everything that we do. Yeah, but it it just sets us off at such a back on the back foot when it's like I don't know women like, mothers are like people wouldn't exist without mothers so yeah exactly. there should yeah. be a lot of trust in us. yeah so really, yeah really,
1: like, like women has been when womankind has been doing this for a very long time like before yeah. instagram existed before, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know
0: <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely so what was your journey to motherhood like
1: yeah well so my first pregnancy with James, it was, it was textbook. Like everything was textbook. So we were living overseas. We got engaged overseas. We moved back to Australia. We bought a house. We bought a do- We got a dog. We got married. We went on the honeymoon. We fell pregnant. Like it was bang, bang, bang. Like how yeah. like textbook, how it should be. So, and my pregnancy with him is totally, totally normal. So I was, I was reading all the books for him um, and I guess I was, preempting what it would be like um but then when he was born he couldn't breathe properly mm-hmm. and we didn't know why and it took a long long time in NICU eight weeks for them to ascertain what was wrong with him and mm-hmm. it was then determined via genetic testing that he had a random gene mutation which influenced you know, interrupted a lot of his vital organs so he had a life-limiting illness and yeah. we had to then make a decision to, um, he was always palliative, but to make him comfortable and mm-hmm. take out his ventilator and let him pass away. Mm-hmm so that was my my journey to motherhood like motherhood slapped me in the face like I didn't expect that no one expected that Mm -hmm. so that was really um raw and really hard and I think I even though I did my mother at that stage I certainly didn't feel like one because I didn't have my baby at home but then my journey to motherhood with Reuben um it took longer because obviously I wanted another baby immediately I wanted I wanted my baby I had a huge hole in my heart in my home I I needed my baby and it wasn't to replace James I needed my baby so, of course things took a little bit longer because my body was just like breathing and and shutting down I didn't have mm. a period I pumped milk for James and um you know my the, the I just I didn't get my period for ages so mm. I was mm. so impatient um to have to have Reuben um so that journey was was fun. like I needed him mm. um but once I was pregnant I was totally relaxed I was in my happy place I um we didn't need to do genetic testing with him or anything like that because it was a random of mutations so as soon as i was pregnant with him my journey was was i was back in my happy place i was calm and i was relaxed
0: can I ask, what was the, the illness central hyperventilation syndrome
1: at all? No, no it was, that was investigated. It was an, um, a gene mutation, and, and there's so few cases globally. Um, it was just called an RARB gene mutation. Right, okay. So it was, you know, his breathing, his neurological function, his heart function, his diaphragm, um, lungs, like everything. Mm-hmm. And he, he looked perfect. He was this beautiful, beautiful baby boy, but he just, um, yeah, and his vision's. Sorry, he just yeah had so much wrong with my little lad. Mm-hmm. And there
0: was the NIPT. That's not something that they test for, no, routinely. No.
1: The only way, and um, uh I had that just for my own peace of mind. And we had carrier testing blood done before we um, had James purely just because you know it was the thing that you now do. Um, it wouldn't have picked up anything like that. Mm-hmm. It would only have been picked up if we, for whatever reason, had decided to do, um uh, invasive testing at you know yeah. 12, weeks. That would, was the only way it would have been picked up. But I was, you know, we were. Thirty-one. You know, we were healthy. the The blood test came back fine, so there was no no need to. And all my scans went through the private yeah. system, so I had numerous scans. Um, they all they were all fine. It wasn't until he was out mm. and needed to start using his lungs that you know shit just hit the fan.
0: Yeah. What did you learn about James in the time that you had with him? Ah, uh,
1: it was a ter- it was a terrifying time. Any any Mickey mum will tell you it's a roller coaster, and goddamn it, it's like you live. By your phone when you're home in case something goes wrong when you're there you're just sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for something to go wrong because something went wrong every single day every single mm. day he was being resuscitated he was going blue he was having to be reintubated. like he was having to have a procedure he was having to have surgery they were trying to find out what was wrong with him like every day had so many ups and downs um but I guess I think he was a sensitive boy it's again mm-hmm. it was hard to tell but he certainly, it took me a long time to be able to hold him. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I got to get him out of his cot on about day nine. And that was the last time I'd held him was when I'd given birth. And that was extremely brief because he wasn't breathing and had to get, you know, whisked away from me. Mm-hmm. But day nine, I was able to get him out again. And then it was about a week later than that was sort of holding him, cradling him. A week later, we were able to do um skin to skin. And he, he really loved that. I mean, you could literally tell by his vital signs because mm. he was strapped up to so many machines. His heart rate would drop. His oxygen saturation would improve. Like, he was on oxygen, but it was still quite poor. But he just, he relaxed. Yeah. Um, and in, when we sang to him and read books, he obviously knew my voice. Like, he was a very sensitive and sweet little boy, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. And so do you talk to Reuben and, was it Luca? Luca. Yeah, yeah, yes. About- so
1: it was from a very, very young age, like when, when Reuben was a baby. And we have his photograph all around the house. So mm-hmm. Reuben knows that's James. He, We tell him he's in the moon. So whenever he goes outside and sees the moon, he waves to it. He's like, hi, James. Um, it was James's mm-hmm. birthday on the weekend just gone. So we had a cake. We had a party. Um mm-hmm. Ruben did keep asking me when James was going to come down from the moon to have his party and I had to say, oh, he might not be, you know, he might not be coming this time, maybe another time. Or he's always around us anyway. We don't need to see him to know he's around us. Yeah. And then Ruben then told me he was going to build a rocket ship to go to the moon so he could meet James. Yeah, that's lovely. So I know it's very hard for a three-year-old to understand, but he says he has a big brother, James.
0: Yeah. 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 And they do, they're really smart little cookies. Like they, oh, they are. They think about things a lot and will come, come back to you with something that you realize that they've kind of been like marinating in and then, like, yes. Come like and talk a lot of the you. photos
1: we have are just of like James's his face or he's wrapped up. So sometimes he'll, he'll just sort of say, Mummy, did James have arms and legs? He's never <laughs> seen his arms and legs in any photo. It's like, yeah. like you know, these, these really, really like, yeah, he's been mulling on it for a while. Yeah. Weird things. Like, you know, I'll, I went to him in the morning, and he's like, "Mummy, James pinched me in the night." And you know, I I I like to think that it's true. I like to think that his big brother came out of somewhere and gave him a little nudge, a little pinch, like. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's so beautiful that you, obviously, I think a lot of people would do that, but that he's still I a know. part of your family and. Very much you know. so, and the boys
1: both have the middle name James. So
0: yeah, wonderful. It's
1: carried, yeah. Carried
0: yeah. On. yeah. So how did you? How do you navigate those decisions around how to talk about James and how to? You know, was it just kind of a given when you were pregnant with Reuben that you would immediately? Yeah.
1: yeah, With Bryce and I, yes. There are some um, close family members that find it, still find it very difficult to talk about him, and that's mm. that's their choice. It's not how I want it to be, but that's that's their that's how they deal with it. They mm. they I guess haven't you know I we we've sought all the help psychologists red nose counseling like we're connected to many networks um, and that is available to them but they haven't wanted to but that's just you know their their background of you know you don't talk about the hard stuff you just Mm -hmm. get on with with life but Mm -hmm. certainly Bryce and I yeah always knew that James was going to be spoken of and anything we can do to to recognize and talk about him we do like it's very important to us that he's not at all forgotten because Mm -hmm. he was he impacted so many people's lives. Like, you know, people who, you know, that that slap in the face that life is too short or at any given moment, your life can change. Yeah. Like you really, you really have to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So the reason I know about
0: central hyperventilation syndrome is because my second son was born at 36 weeks and I don't know why. Um, there wasn't really given any reason. And they you know, as a result, they tested his sugars and everything and um as a result they were also they also as part of that test tested three other levels. Um CO2, base excess and something else. It's two years ago now, so I kind of and I've just buried that. Um but they they were really abnormally high and they do they couldn't they still don't know they <laughs> still don't know why. And yeah. so a lot of kind of scary syndromes were thrown around. Mm. But there was no like um what they say clinically he's presenting very healthily and i was looking at him being like this is a normal baby this is normal healthy baby um and that was one of them that they thought and they said but we won't know for eight to twelve eight to twelve weeks so <laughs> for yes, the genetic okay. test to come back yeah um and he is you know he his second birthday was yesterday so that's about as close to that as I can imagine. So we, we had mm-hmm. a lot of fear, you know, we were being told there was multiple things we were being told it could be and he might not make it beyond his first year. So yeah. I felt that terror, but it was soon relieved by his growth and and meeting milestones and everything. So yeah. I, I really can't imagine what that experience would have been like for you. Yeah. So I do yeah. wonder how you got through and are getting through, I suppose. I imagine it's a lifelong it thing. Is. But yeah. How you got through that immediate that, and po- that immediate postpartum period and...
1: Yeah, when he was in hospital and we were just still assuming he would get better and they said, look, he's, he's so ill, you're looking at, you know, 6 to 12 months in hospital potentially. Mm. Like, I grieved my expectation of what motherhood was meant to be like. I wasn't meant to be in hospital. I was meant to be out having, you know, coffee and catching up with my girlfriends and the, the, the mother group I was in. Like I was meant to be going for walks and going to the beach and living my best life with my baby. I wasn't meant to be doing that. So it seemed weird or, or stupid now that I was grieving that that wasn't my, um my expectation of, of that postnatal period. Hmm. And then when he passed away, I mean, I was still on maternity leave. My, my job got filled with someone on a 12 month contract, like all these other things you don't think about, like, yeah, I had to plan a funeral. Like we had to, all these things again as a 30-year-old, do you think you need to do that as a, with your baby? Like it was it was hard. And when we found out, sorry, when we found out that he had a life-limiting illness and they basically said to us, there is absolutely nothing they can do, he has no quality of life, the machines are the only thing keeping him going, it, we decided immediately that it was time to let him go because he, he fought so hard but like I said every single day he was being resuscitated like he wanted to go he was trying to go so and that moment it was such an easy decision for us and the moment when we did let him go it was so beautiful and peaceful like it was just we still had to have the nurses there and they were checking him every second you know saying do you think he's in distress do you think he needs more painkillers do you need you think he has everything but he literally just sort of yeah, laid with us for for an hour and a half until he was declared as past, was dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it was I was I was so happy to leave that hospital and not have to go back. Yeah. And every eight weeks spending, you know, thirteen hours there. Like I was so happy not to have to go back and just go home. And that next phase was the hardest because I didn't know where to put myself. Like mm-hmm. I had, like I was having gorged breasts. And no one told me how to cut my milk supply off because you know they were too busy coping with the you know bereaved mum. So I didn't know what how to do that. I didn't know if I should keep pumping. I didn't know how to sort that stuff out. I um I I, I didn't know if I was on maternity leave or bereavement leave or where I stayed. So that period was incredibly dark. And there's a like I would, I would, my husband went back to work after about a month and I stayed off. And there's a, there's a split second in the morning when you wake up and you forget. And then it would just come crashing down on me again that I didn't have a baby and I was alone and it was incredibly hard. And I had a lot of supports around me. Um, and eventually I decided to go back to work and my work was extremely accommodating. So they kept on the, the, the guy that filled my role and I went back two days a week. Um and I slowly, slowly increased that back to four days a week because that was just yeah. And some days I would just sort of start crying at my desk and go outside and they just sort of allowed me to meet to do me, which was just utterly amazing. Yep. And yeah. you're still with that that workplace? No, I, I, I left there um because I needed more flexibility. So I didn't return there after Luca.
0: Yep. Is there, I mean, I want I do want to ask w- what it would be helpful for other people to do in that time?
1: I felt like a burden. I didn't turn to people because I didn't want to burden them with my sadness and my issues. So I just spent most of the day at home waiting for my husband to get home. I'd literally sit in a chair and look at the clock. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want my neighbours to see me. I didn't want so we have a dog, I would take him out at night time. I really felt like I was a burden so I mean my best friend who was also a psychologist she was fantastic but she had a newborn who was born eight weeks after so um there was about because James was born early so there was about 12 weeks between them mm-hmm. um so she had a newborn when I was you know going through or she was very very heavily pregnant when James died and then she had a newborn and I was trying not to scare people because we didn't know anything was wrong with James. Like we, did, we, I was expected to have a perfectly healthy baby. Yeah. And, you know, and it was at, when we were in hospital, people bought us food, which was fantastic because we didn't have time to cook or think about anything. People walked the dogs. Um, my family arranged for a cleaner to come, even when we weren't very at home very often, just to make the house feel nice, to come and change the linen because my postpartum sweats were Horrific. Just mm-hmm. like, Every single night I was drenching my bed sheets in sweat. So those supports were there when we were at hospital. Then as soon as he died, people didn't know what to do.
0: Mm-hmm. They didn't know what to
1: say. So they all retreated. And I've got a few friends who would constantly message me. And they're not necessarily from my immediate friend circle. They're sort of, you know, from the second layer. But I I felt like I was a burden if I tried to contact them because all I would do is cry and sob. So I had, no, one, no one was to talk to me. I'm just gonna I'm gonna Debbie down. I'm gonna bring everyone down. So I I kept to myself.
0: So is there any? I just wonder if this is something you wanted to kind of talk about. In, yeah. If there's any advice that you would give to a bereaved, newly bereaved mum or any I guess any bereaved mums. Yeah. Or people in their immediate circle. In how they could best support someone and make sure that 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 mother knows that she's not a burden. Yeah.
1: So anyone, everyone said to me, "What can I do?" And I didn't want to pass them a task on, so I would say nothing. And every mum is going to tell you nothing. Yeah. But it's just a matter of, you know, f- food was great. I mean, we didn't have appetites anyway. But we had to eat. So just you know, and, and I'm just going to leave a meal on your doorstep. Don't come out and just do it. Don't say, do you need a food or do you yeah. need Because they're not going to say no. Or just coming and, and knocking on the door and, and we didn't have any other children at the time, but taking the other kids out or, or going to the park with them just to give the parents space or the mother space to, to give time and dedication to the, the child that's passed because that's something I struggle with now that I don't have enough time to, to sit with James because mm-hmm. the other boys are, are so busy. Yeah. I think the most important thing is just to do and not to ask. Mm-hmm. And don't worry about saying the wrong thing because you probably are. Like, but who knows? <laughs> and 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 the information I wanted to hear changed on a day-to-day basis or a period of the day basis. You know, um just acknowledging the, the, the child, talking to them and, and being there for the person in a physical sense. And it may be that you sit there in silence mm-hmm. or person is just allowed to cry you don't have to say anything if you don't know what to say just Mm. be there but certainly don't ask the person what they need because they'll say nothing just intrusively you know help drop the meal around drop the milk around take the kids take the dog just offer a task not a what can I do yeah because that's that's
0: creating more work for that for that person
1: um and I guess also the logistical things like organizing a memorial and things like that I didn't know what to do so my sister helped him stepped in for that and then my other sister supported me um with coordinating to go back to work Mm -hmm. you know what basis I would come back at and that sort of stuff because again I didn't want to have to deal with all that so having um I guess a lighthouse or a support person that can do logistical things because your cognition goes out the window like, mm-hmm. you, you, you don't know how to, to string sentences together. Like, um, my memory was extremely poor. I just felt horribly fatigued. I, I I, didn't know how to interact with people. Like, yeah, so so doing those horrible tasks or supporting with those horrible tasks, but just the, the, also the, the mundane day-to-day, the cleaning, the cooking, the the stuff you don't really want to have to think about.
0: Yeah. So you have two sisters. Do you have any more siblings? Than- no, I
1: have two you know. sisters. and yeah. I'm, and the, I'm the youngest.
0: You're the youngest. Yep. Yeah. So did they have their own families at the time?
1: Yes. Yeah. So I'm quite a bit. So um, I'm there's four years between me and my next sister. So they had all their kids. So my um next one up's got two daughters, and above yeah. that um has uh, two daughters and a son. So yeah. they were all, all present, and yeah. I suppose did any
0: of your relationships change? I mean, I, I hear that your some friendships certainly did. Yeah. But and is it the older generations that perhaps find it difficult to talk about James?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: And it was not so much, it's more so my my husband's side of the family who is from more of a, a, you know, remote location. And I think, you know, it's just that country-ish way of, you know, men don't cry, buck up, get over it. Mhm.
0: So I kind of want to know how want to know how, how that was with your sisters I and mean, it sounds like they were a great help.
1: They were and um my oldest sister helped with arranging the the um we didn't have a funeral. Um I didn't want that. Like we weren't religious people and I just didn't want to be like I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. So we had a very small memorial service just with our immediate family and my best friend and um then james was cremated yeah so my other my older sister as well as helping with all that she um was a spokesperson for me in the hospital because i really didn't know what to ask or she coordinated meetings when when we were just on standstill when they you know the, there was no treatment plan the treatment plan wasn't changing and that's because they had absolutely no idea what to do because he wasn't responding to any of the, you know, we'll just do this, we'll just do this. Like mm-hmm. one of um, the neonatologists said that she, he was the the most unwell baby she had ever met in her 25 year career. Like they just didn't know what to do with him, and that was very evident. Like they were saying it's we don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we were based in in Newcastle New South Wales, and so they were contacting like Westmead in Sydney where all the specialists like ah, they didn't know what to do. Yeah, no one knew what to do. And it was only when they reached out to another um, hospital in Melbourne that's when they said, look, there's this genetic testing that's going on, the turnaround is immediate because it's for currently unwell babies in hospital with respiratory illnesses, like the most niche study that was going on. So our blood tests, the genetic blood tests were back um, after three days. Mm -hmm. And that was confirmed that that's what That was confirmed with the mutation.
0: Yeah. And so then they what they said though there's there's nothing we can,
1: do. Nothing we can do yeah so how he is now is how he is always going to be he won't be off of ventilation if you want to keep him alive longer we will have to do a trackie for permanent breathing he'll need a peg fee he was having ex- like he was on like artificial food he was having he couldn't have him. i was pumping like a I, the, the nurses were totally amazed at my pump, pumping ability given how stressed I was so I was pumping liters of milk a day like I was just having to throw it down the sink because my freezer at home my family's freezer and the hospital's freezer where I was allocated was all full so I then realized that I could give it away on market like on Facebook so I did yeah I you know mothers I assume I don't know so I would um would do that and then just immediately after he died the New South Wales milk bank opened so he died on the Saturday and it opened on the Monday. All this supply I had left in the hospital got donated to that. They were able to accept that. So yeah. like there was still colostrum. Like there was beautiful golden milk in there because he just couldn't have it because he was literally having it on the end of a like Q tip to go around his mouth. If yeah. they tried him anymore, he would vomit it.
0: That's an amazing thing that you did for other mothers. Yeah. There, to be able to provide that.
1: All all I can do for him is sit by his side hold his hand, and pump milk. Yep. I was so powerless, so I just did what I could do yeah. with exactly my point of view. So yep. I would get up, you know, twice a night and pump. Yeah.
0: And when, sorry, I, I'm just, I and I, I don't know if this is, a, I feel like this is an insensitive thing to say probably. That like- I feel like our, yours and my experience are two paths that diverge in very different directions in terms yep. of it was similar in that the doctors were saying we don't know yeah. and that is like in a culture that glorifies doctors and scientists yeah. and they have all the answers when they look you in the eye and say we don't know that is the most infuriating yeah <laughs> just confusing thing especially because I, i'm not really just either so my my faith is in the in is in science you know yeah. like that's where the answers are and when there's no answers there then what
1: the fuck <laughs> yeah
0: yeah you know, sorry.
1: Exactly <laughs> it. No, 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 that's exactly it. And I think I was, had James not been my first child, I think I would have been a total different mother. I just sat there nodding and smiling. Had he come after, I would have been, you know, no, I'm not going home. No, I'm not doing that. I want I want to hold my baby now. You make it happen. You work out how I can make it happen. I just sat waiting to be told when I could do things. Whereas mm. I think I would be not so much more of an advocate for James because I certainly didn't want to put him at risk because you know doing certain movements that could potentially like um move his ventilation tube was was mm-hmm. such uh,
0: you know and and that
1: did happen a few times it was so so traumatic for him to have that put back in so i just i don't know i just i i i it, since having not so much Ruben because he was a such a chill little baby and of course you know james who couldn't meet could only meet a handful of family members and couldn't really have visitors Of course, when I have this beautiful rainbow baby, he's born March 2020. Mm -hmm. So he was born into lockdown. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So my family couldn't meet him. Um, My husband was an essential worker. He's an engineer. He went back to work. So I was at home by myself trying to again navigate motherhood like it was just oh you couldn't you couldn't yeah but he was he was pretty chill like he you know he was born he had a monster feed and then he just went to sleep and then I would you know routine I would wake him I would feed him he'd go back to sleep Luca who again was born during a lockdown period sorry not a lockdown but a, a near lockdown like Omicron like yeah if I tested positive I wouldn't be able to give birth in the hospital I wanted to rah 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 it was scary time um he was an extremely needy little baby and he was born he got on my nipple and I reckon he stayed there for a week he (laughs) just wanted to suckle and suckle and feed and suckle and didn't want to leave me at all and I think after I had Luca I then thought how did I so willingly like let them just take James away from me like he was there and then he was taken to another hospital. And then I had to wait hours until he was set up to then, and the hospitals, fortunately, the private and the public hospital are on the same grounds. So um, I had to wait until, you know, I, he was born about 7.40 in the evening. 2 a.m. we got the call that we could go over and see him again. Mm-hmm. So, and then, I, you know, then we were separated. Every night I had to go home, apart from the nights where they thought he was going to die, which happened quite a few, and we got to stay um, at the hospital in a little separate room, but I just, you know, I left him by himself, and I didn't get to hold him for so long. Like, what if he needed me, like Luca did, or you know, Ruben needed me too? But I just, I just really hope he knows that I didn't do that out of my choice. Like, I was just following the rules.
0: Yeah, and that's really challenge. It's really hard to challenge authority figures in our in our culture and society that again glorifies them and I I totally understand it's a cultural societal thing where if you are and, and it's a, a kind of moral thing like if you're a good person then you follow the rules and yeah. so even when and you're in a in such a vulnerable position yeah so you absolutely look I think I think James absolutely knows yeah. and also I hope that you are able to give yourself some grace for that time because i get it i i really i really get it even when you kind of you desperately want to do something but there are people with authority telling you well no this is what we have to do and the implication is if you don't follow along with them if you don't follow their direction then you're doing the wrong thing and you're also being a bad parent
1: yeah and that's a
0: lot to sit with
1: yeah yeah, and I mean the, the hardest part was because he was just so 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 unwell, and it wasn't just one doctor telling us; it was all the new, the ne- neontologists there, all the ones in Sydney, all the ones in Melbourne. Like we had so many different opinions yeah. telling us that they didn't know, and you need to do this, or we need to try this, or we had, don't have anything else we can try. Our only option is to try and work out what's wrong with him. There's no point in yeah.
0: How did your husband manage if if his influence is kind of his family influence is men mm. don't show their feelings or whatever. How did he, how did that go for him?
1: Um, It's, it's, so our relationship is it's as strong as it was. And I think something like that, either literally it's you're told it either will make or break your relationship. You will either not be able to continue on together or you will be as solid as ever. And we were as solid as ever. So Bryce didn't, seek much support he came to one support group at red nose with me but he went back to work after a month Mm -hmm. um and you know just tried to get back into his life he would check in with me a lot we would check in with each other uh, and we would cry and yell it's not fair and why us um but in that period before he went back to work he um built a he did some stuff because our house needed big renovations which we we did do before ruben was born but there was a a path around the side that was just a crappy old concrete path so he made it into this beautiful path with pavers and rocks and so that's what he did he did physical labor and he Mm -hmm. put on sound minimizing headphones and he listened to music and one of the the songs or bands that he listened to a lot was the rubens Mm -hmm. so when we had ruben he said i want to call if it's okay can we call him ruben because you know, at the time I didn't know, but just listening to their music really helped me. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he checked in with me, and I checked in with him. But his me- main mechanism was to keep to himself and just make himself sweat and and feel labour pain, like just like hard work. This is on his hands, digging, shoveling, you know, loading rocks, that sort of stuff. Whereas I was out there talking to people. I was talking to counselors, psychologists. Um, I was finding anyone who had lost a, a baby asking them, how do I make the pain stop? How do I make this go away? How do I fix this? How do I feel like me again? Mm-hmm. Um, how do I laugh? How do I smile? Like I was a really optimistic, happy person. And that went away for a long time. Like that that spark was gone. Like how do I get that person back? And, I mean, the answer right now know is time. You just have to you have to go with the emotion. You have to go with the ways. You have to feel shit if you want to feel shit. And if you want to laugh, you're allowed to laugh as well. Like you don't have to feel sad all the time, but if you want to, that's okay. So I, I, I sought support wherever I could.
0: Yeah. That <laughs> sounds sounds like a good thing. And it sounds it, sound, it yeah. makes sense a lot of sense as well. I think in terms of how we socialize as men and women are socialized, men are socialized mm. to be kind of practical and, and physical yeah. and women are socialized to you know, connect and express their feelings. So I think it makes a lot of sense. It sounds like you did a a good thing for yourself in terms of seeking that support.
1: Yeah. And I remember one person saying to me, just she, um, this person had lost a, their firstborn, I think they were born at about 20 weeks because Mm. I can't remember what, but there was, she had some sort of medical complication and there was no way to, to, you know, uh, no medical intervention that would have been appropriate for the baby being so young. And she said to me that when she was going through it all, someone said to her, one day this will be a chapter of your book, not your entire story. And that that really has resonated with me because at that time it was everything. I lived and breathed grief. But yeah. now it's still very much present. Every day I feel some sense of sadness. But I've been able to build myself back. I've been able to sort of, you know, make Laura 2.0 or whatever, like to, to – you Know, I've got a armor on my back, but I'm I can still laugh and I can still smile, and I'm you know, I've got a, that positivity and optimism and spark is, is back.
0: Do you want to share your birth stories with James, but also Reuben and Luca? Is that
1: yeah, because I love
0: fine. I love birth stories, so <laughs> yeah,
1: so I struggle to remember James was induced and it was at 38 weeks, and he was, I think the reason was he was showing signs of being a little bit small for his age. I I Mm -hmm. can't quite remember. And that's just because I've just lost that, that patch of of memory. Um, So I was induced. I went in on a Saturday and got, you know, all prepped. I went home. Then I went back on the Sunday. Um, I labored for a while and then it was getting, you know, a bit intense. So I had an epidural and then I, you know, I slept and I, you know, took the photos. I was smiling Um, and then I think he was starting to show signs of a little bit of distress again I can't quite remember but it was nothing that needed you know a huge amount of medical intervention and then yeah my my actual labor was fine it was about by this point getting into the evening sort of seven o'clock when they you know said it's time to push so you know I pushed for about 45 minutes and then was my my beautiful baby boy my husband said you know it's a boy because he didn't know what we we're having it's a boy um he was up in my chest and the Bryce cut the cord and I didn't notice at the time but the doctor was like come on Bryce come on cut the cord cut the cord it's because she knew something wasn't right yeah and she's like, we've got to, we've got to we've got to get him oxygen we've got to come on cut like cut the cord so they cut the cord and then he was taken away from me um and I did have to have an episiotomy as well for him so I don't really think it was you know an out you know abnormal like again nothing was abnormal or or, or scary about the labor and the birth it was just the post-birth thing and then my other birds. so Reuben I was also induced so I kept the same obstetrician and she needed me to be as relaxed as I could throughout my pregnancy and when it got to the later into the last um end of the third trimester she sort of said to me you need to tell me if." you want to have that, you know, when you want to have that baby because, you know, I'll do whatever you need. Whatever Mm -hmm. I need, I was able to do. So I was so happy being, you know, just bumbling along and then it got to 39 weeks and I just went, I need him in my arms. And at this stage as well, COVID was very scary. It was very unknown. We didn't know what was, so we were going, Australia was going into lockdown. Nobody knew what this nasty virus meant for anyone, let alone pregnant women. I was just sitting locked up at home, you know, waiting for, yeah, I don't know, when to when give birth. It wasn't happening. So at 39 weeks, I said, no, I I, I need my baby in my arms. I need yeah. him. So, again, I was um, induced. I um, stayed, I went in on the evening and I stayed that night in hospital because she just wanted everything to be completely monitored. Yeah. So I stayed in hospital and then the next morning Bryce came in and then we went down to the um, birthing suites and it was a very, very similar labour. I, you know, got all hooked up with everything. I, you know, I sustained for as long as I could. And then I remember one of the nurses coming in to me and she was saying, oh, baby number one, how exciting. And I said, oh, no, it's actually baby number two. And I told her about it and everything. And she goes, do you want my opinion? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes, the anethosis is out there right now. I'm gonna tell him to come and hook you up to an epidural. I'm gonna whatever the, I can't remember what the drug is that they they give you to to make you you dilate and you know labor faster. She says, I'm gonna amp that up as high as it can go so we can get that baby out and you can hold your baby. So again, and again, I was very happy to have an epidural. Mm-hmm. So have it had the epidural and then um it's probably about he was born about three o'clock. So it was about three, four hours later that um, I, I think I pushed for about 20 minutes mm-hmm. and boom, there was Reuben. And I think the most miraculous thing was that, you know, they, they fixed him all up, they checked he was fine, and then they left us alone. And mm-hmm. at that point, Bryce and I had never, ever been alone with our baby because at James we always had we always had a nurse within a metre yeah. because he was so unwell. We, we weren't allowed to be left alone with him at all. So that was Reuben, and then Luca again was very similar. I got to forty weeks with him. I had a stretch and a sweep, and, and nothing. Didn't do anything, and I part of me wanted to go into natural labor, but also I was anxious to have him. I have mm-hmm. them. I didn't want to boy again, and I had to coordinate stuff with Reuben, and that was just tricky. Like you know, I didn't want to go in the middle of the night. He has not He and I are very very codependent. And I'm not sure if that's because I was subconsciously very protective of him as a baby. I didn't hand him over very much. He is, he is a mama's boy. He, it's mama in the nighttime. It's mama to put him to bed. It's mommy, mommy, mommy. So I just wanted to be able to say, look, mommy's got to go. Nana's coming over and then daddy will be back home and mommy will be in the hospital a few nights. I wanted to be able to tell him that. So at 40 weeks, I got induced with Luca. Um, and, again, I went in that morning because, you know, we had to go through all these hideous rap tests. We were, we were put in a room waiting to do a negative rap test. And when that came back fine, um, then, again, induced, hooked up to everything, um, had the epidural. And it was about an hour later that I was like, I can feel some pressure. are mm-hmm. like, no, it, it can't be. You were only like four centimetres an hour ago. No, no way. And then one of the nurses is like, oh, look, I'm about to go on my lunch, but I'll just check where you are. And she checked and his head was there. (laughs) She's like, yeah, that's why you can feel pressure. And (laughs) my contractions had been going all over the shop. So she literally said, I'm going to go call your doctor. She opened the door and my doctor was standing there, like as in some sort of beacon. And she's like, what is going on? You need to have this baby. So, um, yeah, and then about... Oh, it was a very short amount of time because she's there like don't push, don't push yet. We're not ready. We need to get everything ready. Like, he's there, but don't push. So then, yeah, he was he was fine. I bled a lot um with Luca, which I didn't realise. And when I was pushing the placenta, so I had Luca out, and when I was pushing the placenta out, they sort of said, you know, do a do a cough or whatever. And I did that and I splattered blood all over my doctors, my nurse, and up the wall. And Bryce and I giggled. But they look stone, like, like, and Bryce yeah. was like, like, for a split second, I'm like, shit, am I bleeding out or something? Am I hemorrhaging? What's going on? But then we realized it was okay. But I remember their faces of like something's yeah. not right. But it was, it was. Um. So again, I don't really feel like their birth stories are anything special. The one factor I do love is that each of the births we haven't known the sexes, and it's been Bryce who tells me. Yeah. He's the one that said he's a boy. It's beautiful. Yeah, which he's been able to do three times now. So Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you did talk about how you kind of felt that desperation to have your baby, to have Reuben, and that kind of your whole body was just recovering. How did you make that? I mean, it sounds like the decision was made immediately, but how did you come to that decision with Bryce about when you would be trying and how did that happen?
1: We were both keen to try, in, try immediately like mm-hmm. you know no no protection we just but I wasn't getting a period yeah. so early December um it was early February that my period still hadn't started mm-hmm. and I was just so impatient so I went back to my doctor and I just said look I can't I can't wait for this anymore and so she did some blood tests and she's like your body's just kaput like it's you, your pituitary gland's gone on holidays you've got no hormones going around and like um, I didn't. I like things like my hair was falling out, but I didn't realize that was a normal postpartum thing because I didn't have any of that that um education. Yeah. So I, thought I was going batshit crazy. Like I thought I was literally like my body was under so much stress. I was losing hair. Didn't realize it was a post- postpartum thing. But she just sort of said, "Look, your body thinks it's well. You, you have you've just had a baby. Your body is is resting." And I'm like, "Well, wake it up. <laughs> <laughs> I want my babies." And I'm like, "I'm like I'm ready for this. I need this." So then I started um, drugs to kickstart my period, and then to kickstart ovulation. Mm-hmm. And that took that that wasn't working. It took ages to find the right um, medication to make me ovulate. And again, you know, Bryce and I were on the same page of yep, yeah, let's this is what we want, this is what we want. And when that didn't work after six months, I'm like, give me IVF, give me everything. She's like, no, you don't, you don't need that. You're perfectly healthy. You had had a baby, like you're fine. So. I had like a um a a tube flush, and Mm -hmm. then uh, and at this stage, I also I was seeing acupuncturists. I was seeing naturopaths. I was seeing everyone that you could possibly see. I was trying to be as proactive in a situation where you really have no control as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, and then after that, we finally felt pregnant, and I was so anxious about doing getting my period or doing pregnancy tests and Mm -hmm. we were doing ovulation tests and that stupid digital test with the smiley face. I just, I couldn't. So it got to a point where I found out one of the local IVF clinics um, doesn't anymore, but does free um, ovulation blood testing. So it got Mm -hmm. to a point where I had to do that. And then they did a pregnancy test for me because I couldn't, couldn't do a test because it made me so incredibly anxious Mm -hmm. Uh, no, I would say from very from early very early on in the piece, we both knew what we needed, yeah, and um, we were hand in hand through the whole process of of, of getting Ruben.
0: Yeah. So how did you find out that you were pregnant with Ruben? Then did they call you up or was it an email? I got a text or...
1: message. I got a text message. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was a Monday and I was off work and um, we it's the day we moved out of my ho- our house into my parents' house to start our renovation. So I was at my mum's and dad's house and I was unpacking some stuff. I'd taken carloads of stuff over um, to, you know, clean out our house. Mm -hmm. And then it got to about, they sort of said, we'll text you between sort of 9 and 11. And it was about 10 past 11. And I'm like, oh, my God, I wonder if they tell the people who aren't pregnant first or the people who are pregnant. And then I remember getting that text message and I was so scared to open my phone. And it just said, pregnant, in big capital letters and an exclamation mark, fantastic number, you know, congratulations. And I still I still look at that message a lot. Mm-hmm. It just, it was, and I know it was like the, so many things could have then gone wrong. Like I could have miscarried. I could have, you know, so many other things. I could have had a stillborn. Being part of Red Nose opened me up to so much stuff that can go wrong with, what you assume is a healthy baby mm-hmm. um and i knew so much could go wrong but also that was the turning point i needed i just i being pregnant again was such a big i was able i guess we felt like we were on a treadmill or just in a holding pattern in the sky when we were waiting to get pregnant we couldn't move forward any way in our lives until we were you know i couldn't like we couldn't we didn't plan holidays. We were very socially isolated. All our friends had babies and I just couldn't see them. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go to birthday parties. I couldn't go to baby showers. I had to really spring clean my social media. I couldn't see people doing birth announcements. It was horrible. Um, but I just that changed, that seeing that, that, knowing we were pregnant, it changed everything. And I think because the only time I looked after James by myself was when I was pregnant. And I yeah. did a bloody good job because they told me he should have been a miscarriage. He was so unwell and his mutation was so severe. He shouldn't have actually, you know, formed a baby. Mm. So I take my hat off to myself for 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 keeping him so cozy and comfortable and, you know, and he moved so much. He was the most active baby. So I just told myself when I was pregnant with Ruben that everything would be okay and I would, you know, have my baby in my arms.
0: hmm so with all the things that you bought for James, yes. did you hold on to those and Absolutely. have them for Reuben? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep.
1: Yeah. One of the hardest things was um, taking the car seat out. So family members did that for us. I couldn't, you know, because it was in the car. We had it fitted. So, you know, every day we were driving to the hospital, we could hear these jangling, these bells and toys and things. So family members did that. And his room we kept as it was. But when we renovated, his room was staying in its original condition. But we had to put a lot of furniture in that room. And Bryce is like, we live in an old house, there's dust. I am not having anything that could possibly hurt a future baby. Touch this stuff. So he literally wrapped everything in 50 plastic bags. So dust and, you know, whatever, couldn't couldn't get to it. So we did have to take his room down. And I remember the day Bryce did it. I knew he was going to be doing it. Um, it was literally like the weekend before we moved out. So I was almost probably even pregnant at that, that stage and didn't know I was out and he said, I'm going to do this whilst you're out. And I said, okay. And then when I came home, I sort of said, are you done? And he's like, yeah, I'm glad you went home for that. Cause that was really hard. Like hmm. that, doing that was, was horrible. I shouldn't have had to do that. But anyway, we put it back together exactly as it was. Yeah. And sorry, in all the clothes, um so i bought a few things for james but not very much because we didn't know he was a boy yeah. and then not very much because we just didn't think he was going to survive we, they were told you know there's a very slim chance so there's a handful of things that we bought um but and all, everything we were given, because a lot of people gave us gifts, toys and some clothes and wraps. A lot of people gave us wraps because it's the one thing that we could put him in in the hospital because he couldn't wear clothes. Yeah. We could wrap him up in, in um, wraps. So I had all these beautiful, vibrant coloured wraps. So they were all hand, handed down to the boys.
0: Yeah. So what did you do for when you're in your pregnancy with Reuben? Did you have like a, a baby shower? Did you have anything like that?
1: no I'm trying to remember that. no so James we had a baby shower yeah. with Reuben. um I had a I had a I went over breakfast just with my sisters my mum, my mother-in-law and my husband's nan and mm-hmm. it was just oh, and my um so it was just a very very small breakfast but again this there was this you know COVID was in the air like oh you know it won't. It won't make it here. And then I think it was just before the cruise ship hit Sydney. Yeah. And It was yeah. actually like, like so. Um, we didn't want to do a big thing because yeah. I I wouldn't have had any. I wouldn't have anyway. I was very happy with a very casual. Um, I didn't even tell people I was pregnant because mm-hmm. I didn't want to have to tell the world again that I'd lost a baby. So my coping mechanism was to not tell people I was pregnant.
0: Yeah. How did you tell people that James had passed? Like, if you had, did you, are you a Facebook person? Had you announced? Oh, yes,
1: yeah. we were yeah. On Facebook and Instagram Perth people. Um, so it got to about, you know, a couple of weeks after he was born. Everyone's like, have you had the baby? Have you had the baby? Like, my immediately friendship knew, circle knew, have you had the baby? So at that point, we thought we were in an okay phase. He had surgery and they found a problem when they did the surgery. Like, oh, yep, it's got to be this. Mm-hmm. So they expected his lungs to then grow and him to be able to start breathing. And so when we were at that stage, we sort of said, you know, here he is, James, born, rah, 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 had a pretty rough start, but he's on the mend. And everyone's like, oh, fantastic, can't wait for you to get him home. And then, um, you know, that was pretty much it. Like I didn't do much else on, on social media because it was just no way of saying it's good news or bad news. And then when he died, we did a GoFundMe to raise money for the, the NICU unit, mm-hmm. and my sister made that, and she put it on her Facebook, and I think I just shared it so yeah. everyone could see that we were raising funds for James who had passed. So I didn't that that was it. That was the way I told people.
0: Mm-hmm. Were you
1: just inundated then, or was absolutely? It- I mean, we yeah. inundated with money, like for the for the 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 fund. And people were like, why aren't you making money for yourselves? And we didn't, we didn't need to. Like we were out of pocket for the funeral, but I mean it, it wasn't very much money. And my husband was still working. He took a lot of time off, but you know, we were still getting paid. I was getting paid maternity leave. I then got paid because I'd had a baby, there's a bit of a loophole with Centrelink So I was paid both maternity leave payments and bereavement leave payments and I double checked, you know, I was entitled, I, I was able to have both. So I had double income coming in from the government when I was off work and so we didn't need any money. So everything we raised went went to the NICU and I got to meet with the directors as to how the money was spent. And so a lot of people who didn't know what to say gave money and then hmm. everyone was just like, you know, I can't, the most un- if you don't want to imagine what it's like. Like, so everyone was just sharing sorrow and Yeah.
0: Yeah so what was your
1: postpartum with Reuben like? So it was hard because he was a catnapper from very, and it's just his personality it's so funny how their personality has come out so early on in the piece. He was a beautiful little unicorn baby he slept 7 p.m till 7 a.m but god damn he did not want to sleep in the day. <laughs> he would sleep 10 minutes and then be crying. So I was like, oh my God, man, I haven't even been able to go to the toilet, let alone do washing, shower, you know? And because I was on, you know, had this thing in my head where I'm like, oh, you know, I've got to, got to make banana bread. I've got to make dinner. I've got to have the house spotless. I've got to do all the washing. I've got to fold the washing before Bryce get time. I can't, the house can't be messy. I'm at home all day, like all this stuff, driving myself insane with everything I was supposed to be doing. My baby didn't sleep. So I was sitting in a dark room Padding and shushing and trying to get him to sleep. And he we did that for six months until he could roll on his belly and then he would sleep for maybe an hour, which was, was so much better. So <laughs> apart from my anxiety as to what have I done wrong so, because he won't sleep in the daytime, um, I mean, I know he I shouldn't complain because he slept, like literally slept 12-hour stints overnight, but it was really hard not having a second to myself in the day. Yeah. Like really hard to, 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 I guess you were talking about changing identity when I became a mother, like to be like, oh, my God, I haven't showered today. Like I would never be the person who didn't have a shower. <laughs> it's because I, you know, but so in the end I used to just put him down and then I used to turn off the monitor because I knew he was going to wake up and I knew he was fine. Yes, he would have cried, but I knew he was fine if I wanted to take five minutes to go to the toilet and yeah. have a shower. So, yeah. um, and then when I got out of the shower, I hear him crying. So I would go in, I would get dressed and I would go into him, but that was the way I coped. I would turn off the monitor. So I couldn't hear him purely to get a little bit of self-care done for five minutes. Yeah,
0: and so Sometimes it's yeah. what you need to do. You re- reassure yeah. yourself. They are fine.
1: Yes. I
0: need
1: to pee. (laughs) Same when those moments where you get a little bit frazzled and you're just like, I just can't, I can't hear you crying just for a minute, so I'm going to put you down in your cot and I'm going to go outside and, and, you know, get some fresh air, some sunshine and ground my feet. But, yes, so my, I regret my postpartum period with Ruben because I was so anxious about doing it by the book. Yeah. I mean, it was beautiful, but it was, yeah, anxious time. And I -hmm. I had definitely had, I didn't have postnatal depression, which is, you know, quite surprising, I think. I mean, I had depression just from everything that happened with James, but I had postnatal anxiety and I didn't know that was a thing. But literally before I would put him down for a day nap, my heart would be in my throat. My heart would be palpitating knowing that I had anywhere from five to ten minutes and then he was going to be awake. Like Mm -hmm. just the anticipation of him starting to cry and be awake was just, yeah, it really, really was hard. That was hard.
0: Yeah. My eldest son was very similar. <laughs> he
1: just did yeah. not want to be put down yeah. and, well, he, at he all. being put down and he self-settled like he was a unicorn baby, but he just didn't want to sleep very long. And he's never been a day sleeper. He cut his day naps super early. He's <laughs> had super bad FOMO. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He daycare when he was one, he started daycare. And I would look at the sleep chart at the end of the day and all these babies would sleep for like two, three hours. And then there's Ruben, who slept like 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> they're um, like what do we know what to do with him i like, just like just keep him like if he doesn't if he keep they like, keep trying but if he wants to be up leave him up so
0: yeah yeah and what was your postpartum with luca like that was having actually, a toddler as well
1: so i think i mentioned he was very i hate to use the word needy because he was a newborn and of course he wanted his mum and he wanted to suckle and comfort but compared to reuben he was I, i'd use the word needy it was really really hard i i was even though we didn't find out i was really really sure he was a girl mm-hmm. i just had a gut feeling everyone told me oh it's a girl you know you know based on the, the the old school heart rate you know thing it's a girl so when he was a boy i had gender disappointment i really did i really struggled with the fact that i thought i was going to have a girl and then when i was in hospital i was by myself because once right because of the covid situation Once Bryce left the hospital, he wasn't able to come back. So Mm -hmm. he went home after one night to be with Ruben because Ruben was very confused. He was 22 months. So he had my mum, but he wanted wanted mama. So his next best thing was dad. So Bryce went home and then Luca was just feeding all night. I wasn't getting a wink of sleep. Thank God the Australian Open was on because I just watched the tennis into the, you know the the late hours of the or well, early hours of the morning. But I was was tired. I was feeling incredibly guilty that I was upset with his gender, and I was missing Reuben, mm-hmm. and I didn't know how I was supposed to share my love. I you know Reuben and I had such a strong bond. I didn't know how I was supposed to love another human being as much as I love. I didn't know if I had the ability to love someone as equal. And then Luca was a, was a, was a, he wasn't colicky, but he cried a lot. And I think it's because he had pains because he was fine when he was with suckling. So he um he found his thumb very, very early. And you know, that was his, his savior with a little bit of a dummy as well, but mm-hmm. he mostly his thumb, but it, it was really, really tricky to have a, a crying baby. Because, again, Ruben didn't cry. And I remember taking Luca to my GP, our GP, and being like, there's something wrong with him. He's, he's got to be colicky or, or, or have reflux or something. She's like, "You know, has he, he went through all the checks? Is he vomiting? Is he losing weight? And I'm like, no, no, no. She's like, he's a newborn. She's like, you got yourself <laughs> a newborn. And I said, but Ruben didn't do this. And she held my hands and she said, Ruben is the baby you needed at that point of life. Mm-hmm. And now you have a have a have a normal baby. Like...
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how have you changed since becoming a mother?
1: Oh so that's hard because obviously the situation with James changed changed me, like changed who I I was as a person. Um, but then when I bring Ruben and Luca into the piece, I'm I'm more flexible. You have to be I'm more flexible and I'm messier. <laughs> like I'm <more laughs> okay to sit in mess for, you know, the day and just tidy it up when they go to bed. Yeah. Yeah, the 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 main things. It's mm-hmm. yeah. It's hard to remember who I was pre pre-babies, but and then of course, you know, James really just shook like shifted my whole path in life. Yeah. Um uh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm definitely more resilient because of him. -hmm. And I've got, you know, I feel like I've got a bit of a superpower that I can in fact I can get up every day and and, and function. I reckon I'm, you know, that's that's pretty awesome. Like (laughs) that I can live with what everything we've been through and yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) What so what is your relationship with your body like now?
1: It's better. You know, um, I was one of these people who, you know, when I was a teenager, I used to I have to be this size. I have to be thin. I have to be. I have to focus on what I'm doing, and I have to exercise, and I have to go to the gym, and I have to do this. And now, I, if I do exercise, I do it for movement. That's what I call mm-hmm. because, you know, I went through a phase in my mid twenties where I actually stopped getting my period because I was exercising too much, and I wasn't thin. I wasn't a stick figure I ate well but because I was doing so much high intensity work exercise I stopped getting my period so I was mindful now that I need to nurture my body more and not put it under stress it interprets exercise as stress Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the the um uh gynecologists I saw at that time said you know our bodies weren't designed to do exercise when, you know, back in caveman times, if we ran, it's because we were getting chased by, you know, something that was going to eat us. Mm. So your body thinks it's being chased by something that's going to eat it. So <laughs> it's shutting down. It's going, we don't want to have a baby at the moment because there's something that's going to eat us. So we're going to switch that period off. So I learnt to do more gentle exercise and it's 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 for movement. So I've lost a lot of muscle and, you know, I've got my tummy has a lot of like loose skin. If I do a plank, I feel like my tummy hangs down, you know, quite a lot. <laughs> um, I My abs are separated and they have been since I was 16 weeks with James. Like my body has changed. It's still been able to like carry, carry, you know, have, have three vaginal births and I've recovered well after that. But I think I'm much more happier in my own skin and in my body. Mm-hmm. And I have so much... just like looking at what the hot when you when you're pregnant you don't consciously do anything your body just changes i just think my body is amazing and women's bodies are amazing for changing and adapting to grow a human being i just think it's pretty mind-blowing yeah absolutely and because because my my you know my womb is where all my babies have been at one point in time i yeah i think it's it's pretty happy with my body because it carried my babies.
0: Yeah, how has motherhood affected your relationship with Bryce or how has, I guess, becoming parents affected your relationship?
1: Yeah, yeah. so I think not so much this year but the first 12 months with Luca were definitely the most challenging we've ever been through. I think just having two young kids and being tired and, you know, Not so much Luca because he, he, you know, very quickly we we worked out what made him happy and then he was a happy little baby and he slept really well day and night. Ruben was just, he's just a firecracker. So (laughs) last year was the most challenging year of our relationship. Like we fought a lot just because we snap at each other. Mm -hmm. He works long hours. He's kind of gone from, you know, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So it's that expectation when he gets in the door, hit the ground running, buddy, you've got to do fast. You've got to pack away the toys. You've <laughs> got to fold the washing, and he does do it. Like he's an amazing, amazing husband. But there'd be, you know, I would be snappy, and then he would snap back. So last year was challenging. This year we we're in a really happy, beautiful place. Like we were never at a point of breaking, but it was it was hard last year. Like with you know with having that that zero to twelve month period with with two, uh, with Luca, um, and then Ruben as well. It was hard, but. Now we've kind of got our dynamic worked out. We work out who does what. And um, he's he's a super, super confident dad. Mm-hmm. Ruben, he was a bit scared to even, you know, have a loan. Like what if what if I do something to him and, you know, something happens and it's my fault. But with Luca, that changed it. He was totally happy when he was a baby to go out, you know, out and about with him. And, you know, if he cries, he cries. Or, you know, we'll, we'll get home and, and you'll he'll have some milk or I'll change his nappy or I'll do what I need to do. So he very often goes out with the two boys, like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so our relationship has gone up and down, but yeah, it's in it's in it's in a better place now. Yeah, and we do talk about having another baby. Yeah,
0: <laughs> do you know what kind of? I did wonder how big of a family you had kind of anticipated for yourselves.
1: We all, I always said I wanted
0: three at home.
1: Well, I said I wanted three. Now I say I want three at home, and he is happy with that as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, what's Ruben and Luca's relationship with each other like?
1: They are so buddy buddy now, are it's, they? It's so beautiful. Like, they like they little things like they wrestle, and um, you know, Luca used to be quite passive because he was little, so yeah. wanted he'd just snatch it, Luca <laughs> would just either not know what had happened or cry. Yeah, whereas now he's the one going up and pushing, and, and I quite like, I don't, I don't intervene, I quite like watching them squabble. I think, well, you're gonna have to work out how to, you know, how to suit things between yourselves, all on the intervene yeah. if it's too rough, but um. No, it's really cute. And, like, they they sometimes, Luca will want to hold hands with him and, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful, especially now that Luca's talking quite a lot. And, I mean, he's been mobile for a while, but now that he's talking quite a lot, I think that Ruben's actually worked out that he's got a little, you know, a best friend for life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I have my two older ones are boys as well. I've got a four-year-old and Hugo just turned two yesterday. Hmm. And they are like always at each other. Like it's either I said because my my husband. It's funny he's got two older brothers. I'm like you know what brothers are like. Yeah. So but he gets pretty uptight about it, and I'm like, look, as long as they're laughing, let's just kind of yes. leave it, yes. and then just wait and see because they and Hugo's is absolutely fearless, flinging himself off every surface. So he he yep. bonks his head quite frequently. Like he, that's
1: my Ruben he's constantly covered in head injury yeah. like cool. yeah.
0: and you go out and you're like I don't
1: I, I look after him he just doesn't look after himself yeah
0: <laughs> yeah so I I think that we, we kind of need to be a bit more relaxed with the boys in their relationship because they either love each other or they're like bitter enemies and they're fighting for over yeah. I don't know what but it is, it is quite a lot you just kind of like okay well look yeah not severely injuring yourselves or and tired.
1: i feel like you need to learn especially boys they do need to learn how far when it when it goes from play to crossing the line like with that especially in that sort of wrestling thing so yeah i kind of feel like they need to figure that out themselves so i will i will as well just sort of just let them go but intervene if it gets too much yeah. or if they do get hurt then we have that discussion of do you think you went too far you know what was too far, and why did you? You know, Lucas crying now. Do you think that means he's happy or he's sad? And he's like, "Yeah, he's happy." I'm like, "Nobody, <laughs> he's not happy."
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, and that's the thing is, if you kind of try to intervene all the time, it's going to be your whole life. Like they're going to be duking it out for a long time. <laughs> yeah, like my
1: husband's got a younger brother, so he's like, you know, he's all for it. He's
0: like, "Yeah, yeah no, you have got to do this. It's what, it's what brothers do." Like, yeah, I. I'll just ask it. If it, yeah, what has been one of the most challenging parts of your motherhood journey?
1: Yeah, so definitely, James, like yeah. literally going from everything's going to be totally fine to our entire lives being turned on their heads in a split second. Mm-hmm. So that I guess I I just didn't I I figured if I made it to the birth that nothing could go wrong. Yeah, you know, like I knew stillborn existed. I knew bad things existed. But I figured because I had made it to the, the day of birth that at that point nothing bad could happen. Mm-hmm. And I was so, like, yeah. and even just meeting family in NICU, so much you just didn't know what could happen. So,
0: yeah. yeah. What has been one of the most rewarding parts of your motherhood journey?
1: Just the joy they bring. Like, they just, they make me laugh. Like, or when they just do amazing things. Like, I don't know. It's, it's watching them grow, I think, would have to be, you in know, in a nutshell, watching them grow. So. Watching them go from not being able to do something to do something. And it's not because I've sat there, you know, persevering, like, this is how you do it, this is how you do it. It's just that their brain has grown and adapted, and, you know, pathways are formed in their little mind, like that they, it's just, it's totally like a natural process. I like, just, I think it's amazing. Like, just the, the, the same way I think it's amazing that the woman's body grows a baby. I think it's amazing that, you know, it, a baby goes from this blob on the floor. To then you know sitting up and then walking and talking and using their hands and yeah you no know, I just think the way it all it all happens pretty naturally it's pretty it's amazing it's cool to watch like yeah just they amaze me and just some of the things I come out and say like it's just yeah
0: yeah and it, it's like you can see where you they get certain phrases from or certain mannerisms yes. but others you I'm just like <laughs> what like yes. Hugo is he's a real little weirdo like he just yeah. kind of does this like little like head head move like he just does his funny runs and I'm just like <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's
1: just yeah. They're hilarious yeah, they make me really laugh are. like yeah. they do make me laugh yeah I'm just back challenges sorry something just picked to mind as well yeah. as Jane I think with, with Ruben and I know it was COVID but I didn't realize how isolated I would be like yeah. I felt very very lonely I went from being in an office environment to suddenly being at home with a child that doesn't talk Mm-hmm. So I think a challenge that I didn't anticipate was how lonely and isolated I would feel um, at home. Mm-hmm. It's not because I didn't have someone on the end of the phone or, you know, friends I could eventually catch up with. It was just I just, the silence of home was was like, and because my husband left early, sometimes I didn't utter a word until, you know, out loud, apart yeah. from to myself, until he was home again. I hadn't had a conversation with another human being. Yeah. Like, that was hard.
0: I did want to ask about how your did your friendships change when you had Reuben, like the the people who had had children kind of around that maybe around the same time as James or there were a lot. yeah. so how how did that how did that go?
1: Um they were fine. It, uh, my friendships were always there, and they very fortunately let me be me. Mm-hmm. so if I um said, no, I'm not coming to your child's first birthday' that was totally fine. There was no, you know, there was no um, anger towards that or that decision. Or if I, you know, said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you at this place and then half an hour later before it, I'd be like, I can't come, I can't come, I can't leave the house today, I can't do this, I can't, I can't. That would be totally fine. So I think when Ruben um, was born, I allowed myself to interact with their children again. And one of Bryce's best friends has a baby who was born the day after James. Mm-hmm. So it's a girl, so I've never really noticed, you know, I don't compare them a lot. But when I do see her, I'm just like, oh, that's kind of where James would be, you know. That's, yeah. He'd be starting school next year. That's just, that's mind-blowing, that milestone. Like mm-hmm. that's a hard one to actually think about processing.
0: Yeah. Do you kind of in anticipation of that, do you have a, a plan of how you're going to?
1: I've been anticipating it a lot. Yeah. Um, And I have decided that I will probably attend with um, when my best friend takes her son, I'm going to tag along. It wouldn't have been the same school or anything like that, but um, I've told her that I'm going to come to, you know, give him a little cuddle at the gate. Beautiful. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What has surprised you most about motherhood?
1: Yeah, so... I think it's my ability to change and shift and sit with the uncomfortable and sit in the mess and not read the books and not follow the guides and just to really um, trust my own instinct. And I did read a book about trusting your own motherhood instinct um, when I had had Ruben. a friend recommended it. And I really, um, I think it surprised me how much I can go from doing what I'm told I have to do to switching off and going no I'm going to listen to myself and be like no this is this is this is okay to do this is fine like yeah. and I think as well it surprised me that I've gone from being a real perfectionist and I probably still am a perfectionist in a lot of areas of life, of life but I'm really okay with being a good mum I don't have to be a fantastic amazing wonderful mum if if my children are fed and and clean and all well, semi-clean, they're always covered in sensor. <laughs> yeah. But happy and well, then I've done. I've done enough. Yeah. You know, like I, I, don't have to set up a sensory tray, and I don't have to. Yeah, we do do that from time to time if I if I can be, you know, want to. But if I just say play with your toys or go jump on the trampoline, that's perfectly fine too. Like yeah, so it's just sitting with myself of being like, good is fine, good is enough. Like everyone's happy, everyone's well. Yeah, that that's fine. I think if I told myself that you're going to be like that, you know, five, six years ago, I would have been like, no, 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 no. You have to be perfect. You have to be the perfect mom. But no. yeah. and then it's almost like it's to five o'clock and I'm like, oh my God, I forgot to make your boys dinner. So then <laughs> I'm like, Good old Annabelle Carmel frozen meals <laughs> out of the freezer. That do. So yeah. They got to a stage where Ruben, I'm like, Ruben, what do you want for dinner? And he went to the freezer. He's like, um, this one. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to cook tonight. What do you want for dinner? <laughs> it surprises me that I would have in the past not had a dinner plan, you know? Like yeah. Eggs. Like, they're, still <laughs> they're fine.
0: Like- yeah. Yeah. I mean, for us, it's like whatever they, they will eat, it's a win because. They- oh, God, yes. Yep yeah
1: (laughs) if if it ends up being a week big, then whatever it's a phase like you I'd rather you have something in your belly
0: yeah totally yeah what is something that you do for
1: yourself it's it's horrible but it's my work it's work (laughs) and I, I do take time out as well through the weekend I you know I get out and I go for a walk or I walk the dog I do really like that because i've seen my dog as a bit of a savior because in those early days where i said i would wake up and and just be a total mess because i forget what happened the only reason i got out of bed was because the dog needed to be fed so i i really love having one-on-one time with him so going for walks with him going to the gym but then when i drop my kids at daycare and then i've got you know eight hours of just me time like
0: yeah 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 it's not it's not horrible at all i think it it's so perfectly valid and it's part like that's another part of our identity right we're just not just mothers exactly. but we're also working mothers so it's
1: using my brain yeah absolutely
0: yeah yeah yep. if you could visit yourself before you became a mother what advice would you give her
1: i think it's got to be back to you tr- trust your instinct trust yep. your maternal instinct follow your gut don't follow what you think you should be doing mm-hmm. follow what you want to be doing
0: yeah I think that's a that's a really important really important advice and it's really tricky because we have been encouraged and almost forced to be disconnected from that intuition by yes, our definitely. society and culture yeah, yeah. so it's a real real relearning and you've got to be really active about it because otherwise yes, it's... it's got
1: to be practice it's like like mindfulness or you've got to you've got to really got to tune into your body
0: mm-hmm yeah so are there any influential texts or, like, other podcasts, books, programs, social media accounts that you would recommend to our listeners?
1: Um, The only one I really like, well, there's lots that I like, but I, I, I again, learnt to not follow them too much because mm-hmm. it puts pressure on myself that I don't need. But there's a poet. Um, I think her name's Jess Ulrich, maybe? Yep, I'm, yep. Her poems, every single time, I'm like, oh, my God, it's me. Like, I really resonate with her poetry. And she does lots of on grief and loss as well. Mm-hmm. And, again, I'm just like that's just she spills it out so perfectly. So I would say her. But then also, like, the the ones that are, like, really telling it, tell it how it is, like, toddlers are fucked and, you know, <laughs> you know go get a – there's one woman who's like, go get a snack. You're doing a great job. Like, go feed yourself. Like, yeah. I think yeah. it's called big-time big time parenting or big-time adulting, but that she, I, I, for, for a humorous, um, yeah, yeah. But then I also follow, follow a lady, um, uh, Mackenzie. She had a daughter who passed away from SMA when she was a baby. So I follow and message her quite a lot just through, you know, things she gives me ideas on, on grief. Like for Mackenzie's birthday, they they do bubbles. So I'm like, oh, that's perfect. When it's James's birthday, we do bubbles. So life life and love of Mackenzie, I think, is the, the page. But mm-hmm.
0: Amazing. <laughs> that was that's the last question. Did you have any um any anything that you wanted to kind of speak about
1: specifically? I'm a little bit my, my notes. Um, <laughs> no, I think I got to get everything across that I kind of, I kind of wanted to. Like I I I think I I wanted to talk about all all three boys. You know, you can go on a different avenue for each of them, but yeah, like at the end of the day, I think you know being a mother is amazing. Yeah, but it's okay to also hate it. It's also not <laughs> hate it, but it's okay to to miss your old life. Like yeah, like every so often, my husband like on a Friday night, we'd be like, "What would we be doing ten years ago?" Or "What would we be doing if it was a Friday night?" in Like, "What would we be doing?" Like, we would be pissed at the pub. That was the end. For every single time. And different pubs, not together. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't. I, well, I mean, it's hard to say that I wouldn't change everything because there's a lot I potentially would change. But then, I would never change not meeting James. Yeah, I would never change having the opportunity to have have that so whilst it's been a horrific experience it's now made me the person that I am so I can't say that I would change I would take him away because I would never not want to have met him Mm -hmm. and and had him yeah and be his mother like I I love being his mother like and then
0: without that pregnancy in terms of just even just timings of mm -hmm. when you conceived Ruben and Luca it has to be I think I absolutely agree women's bodies are incredible but it's miraculous whenever a baby is conceived I feel
1: because the timing has to be so precise and I didn't know I was pregnant with Luca like we obviously we'd stop using protection I'd had one period back and we just thought we'd test the waters and then I felt totally fine and I was about to go see my old naturopath because I'm like oh here we go 40 day cycles are going to be back you know my period's not going to come I'm like oh well I know she's going to ask me if I'm pregnant so I'll do a test to prove that I'm not <laughs> yeah and that was Luca like yeah amazing so I, I
0: should should have asked about that as well because I asked how you found out you were pregnant with Ruben, but so you kind of were not expecting it at all and then so
1: Ruben, I didn't tell you sorry so I got that text message with Ruben, but then um I didn't tell Bryce until that night I waited yeah. until he was so I told my mom when she got home and I was at her house unpacking stuff. I'm like, I'm pregnant. She was ecstatic. And then I told Bryce that night. And then so with so that was beautiful. Like like you know, I'm like, guess what I found out today. And then with, with Luke, it was like, fuck, have a look at this. <laughs> like a pregnancy test. Like, yeah. <laughs> he kind of yeah. just like high five. Like good job. <laughs>
0: That is a pretty, is it a funny kind of thing when you're not expecting it and then you're just like,
1: yeah, hey, there's no, it was no just cute like, like opposite, this baby yeah. that was, everyone was waiting with bated breath to find out when are they finally gonna get their baby and then this Luke was like, here I am. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's right. It's like they're they're really kind of like waiting somewhere for I say Evie was waiting for her bus and was just kind of like, oh, this is early, but I'm gonna jump on now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep, that's it. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for talking to me, no, Laura. Thank you. But I'm so glad we got the opportunity to talk about yeah, so am I, I found this
1: like really um I don't know what the word is, cathartic, I don't know, but just it's it, every time I get to talk about James, it makes yeah. me so happy, number one. But it's also just reliving the story and talking about him really helps me just in my 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 processing and my, you know, yeah. yeah it, it, it's it's all a therapy. Oh, I feel
0: very privileged that you trusted me with your story yeah. and, and telling me about James. I'm I'm glad I got yeah. to hear about him. And yeah. and Luca and Ruben, of course. Yeah. yeah. And you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank
1: it was you. So and again, thank you. I really I really um like I I was a little bit nervous, but I think once you start talking about what it's what you know and it's coming from you, it's it's really comfortable and it's really Yeah.
0: Yeah. Awesome. I'm so glad. You've been listening to The Mother Whelm, where we celebrate honest, unfiltered stories of motherhood. If you would like to be interviewed for The Mother Whelm, please send an email to themotherwhelm at gmail.com or send a direct message to me on Instagram under the handle at the.motherwhelm. If today's episode resonated with you, I would love for you to join our community on Instagram. This is where you can find updates and behind-the-scenes content and share your own unique journey using the hashtag #MotherwhelmMoments. Moments. To keep these powerful conversations going, please rate, review and subscribe wherever you find podcasts. And don't forget to share the show with fellow mums who might find solace, laughter or inspiration in these stories. Until next time, you'll be listening to the Metal Metal. Perfect. Beautiful job. Thank you, my darling.